And so we resume the Rashi Shir after a short break, and we are coming to you from the Midrashah of the Melbourne Mizrahi Synagogue here in Melbourne, Australia. And we are taking it up from Bereshit Perak Dalad Pasuk Yud Zayin. So after Cain has been condemned to a life of wandering as a punishment for killing his brother, and according to Rashi, not showing much contrition, we read as follows. Vayeda Cain et Ishto. Cain knew, i.e. had relations with his wife, Vatahar, and she conceived, Vatelet et Hanoch, and she bore Hanoch, Vayehi bone ir, and he was a builder of city. Vayikra shem ha'ir, and he called the name of the city, Kashem Bono Hanoch, like the name of his son Hanoch. Okay, any questions? Any textual questions? Any philosophical questions? Bone ear. He built city. Yes. Well, okay. I just, by the way, I'll, <coughs> uh, Rashi doesn't say anything on that. Rav Hirsch has a fascinating comment that Bone is in the present tense. And Rav Hirsch translates it as he became a city builder, which is how I sort of translated it. He became a city builder. And Rav Hirsch says there was a, a transition here from the agricultural lifestyle to moving into the settled city lifestyle. So he was a bona ear. It, was, it became a new personality, if you like, a new role to be a city builder. Anyway, but we're learning Rashi. So Rashi doesn't actually comment on that. So let's see what Rashi says. Um, on Pasuk Yudzayim, Rashi says, Vayahi kain. The first thing he says is he adds the word kain. The Pasuk says, Vayahi bona ir. And Rashi says, Vayahi kain bona ir. What is that? Why has Rashi added that? Because there is a certain ambiguity. It's not actually a very big ambiguity because Rashi's shut is the obvious one. But we're not quite sure who was the subject of Vayahi bona ir. Because who could it be? It could be kind. Ah, it's okay. It could be kind, or it could be chanoch. Now, why should it be chanoch? Think grammatically. So chanoch is the previously named person before the word vayehi. So there's a good reason to think it's chanoch. However, Rashi says it's kind. Why is Rashi right? Because the subject of vayehi must be the same as the subject of vayikra. Vayihi bona ir, vayikra shem ha'ir. Doesn't make sense to say there's two different subjects without some sort of introduction of a second subject. And how do I know the subject of vayikra shem ha'ir must be kain? Because he names it after his son Hanoch. So the subject of vayikra is kain, therefore the subject of vayihi is kain. And that, at least on one level, is what Rashi is pointing out to us. I think there might be something else here as well. Um, which perhaps we can see in the second part. Now, Rashi continues, and he adds, or rather he swaps one word from the Chumash to Rashi. So Rashi reads, Vayikra shem ha'ir lezecher b'no chanoch. What, what word has Rashi taken out, and what word has Rashi put in? He's taken out kashem, and he's put in lezecher. <coughs> what does lezecher b'no chanoch mean? I, I, yeah, I, that's the obvious understanding. I don't think that's right. I don't think it means like we do things in memory of with a plaque saying this is named after Hanoch. But yeah, to the honor of or after the name of. But um, what is he excluding? What is Rashi excluding? Rashi is excluding the possibility that he built the city for Hanoch to live in. So that's why Rashi says it's Lezecha Hanoch, but it's not Lashem Hanoch. It's not for the sake of Hanoch. So, it, uh, he's clarifying that this Kashem Bano Hanoch does not mean that it's named for Hanoch to live in, but it's just Lezecha Hanoch. Now, if you put these things together, I think there is a little bit of a, a bigger picture here. Rashi is not a fan of Kain. We saw that previously. Rashi says that uh, when, when Kain says, Gadola in my sin is too great to bear, which could be read as tremendous teshuva, Rashi says, no, 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 no. He's like trying to sort of demand of God that God forgives him. 
And in Pasuk Tetzayin, Vayetze Kain Milifnei Hashem, Kain went out from before Hashem. Rashi puts out, Yatsa like he was Gonev Dat, he was trying to trick Hashem. So Rashi's got this thing that Kain is not good. And if we follow Rashi now, that Kain is building a city, and Rashi stresses it's Kain building, not Hanach, in case you might have thought so. And it's Lezecha Bano Hanach. It's not for Hanach. It's not a city for Hanach. It's a city for Kain. And it happens to be named with the same name of his son. And they're actually stressing that as well. What does that tell you about Kain? What is Kain doing here that he shouldn't be doing? What was the nature of the punishment? For himself? No. What was the punishment? Look back at uh, the last part of Pasuk Yud Bet. Last four words of Pasuk Yud Bet. You will be a stranger and a sojourner, and a, and a wanderer in the land. And Rashi said there on Yud Bet, You do not have permission to live in one place. And what's Kain doing now? Settling a city. Building a city. So he's breaking the rules, which I think. Apart from the, the, the textual inferences that, that, that Rashi is sort of directing us to what must actually be the correct interpretation, Rashi is pointing out another uh, strike against Kain, that he is actually settling down to live in a city which is contrary to what he was told to do. Now, the story continues, and we've more or less finished with Kain, um, although he sort of appears indirectly, as we will see. And in the next verse, we jump through several generations, and then we get to somebody called Lemech, who's going to be the main character in Posit Yutet, Kaf, Kaf Aleph, Kaf Bet, Kaf Kimo, Kaf Dalad, and that's it. And I just want to give a little bit of introduction. Uh, Rashi's got a lot to say about what's going to be happening, and we're probably not going to get very far tonight into the main part of the story. Um, but... There seems to be a theme running through the next few comments of Rashi. And here and there, you can pick up the theme. And I would suggest the theme is that we're in the shadow of the oncoming storm. And I use the word storm deliberately. What's the oncoming storm? What's going to happen to humanity in not far along? Okay, they're going to be wiped out. Now, it's not, I'm not suggesting that Rashi is saying specifically the flood is coming because the flood came as a punishment for the generation of the flood. And even though, I don't think it'll be tonight, there's actually a reference to a flood, it's probably not the same flood. It's not the big flood. It's like a mini sort of practice flood. Um, but in terms of the decline of the world, that the world is on borrowed time and the world is descending morally, that comes clear in many comments that Rashi makes. And I think that what Rashi has to say should be seen against that backdrop of decline, 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 leading to destruction. Okay, Pasuk Yudchet. So we've just been introduced to Hanoch, who is the son of Irad, And there was born to Hanoch Irad, count the generations, by the way. Hanoch is the first generation after Kain, Irad is the second. The Irad Yalad et Mechuyael. Um, Rashi's going to give a long treatise on the word yolad, but it's something to do with having a child. yolad et matushael. Umatushael yolad et lamech. So just count the generations, by the way. Hanach is the first after Kain. Irad is the second. Mechuyael is the third. Mechiyael is the fourth. Matushael is the fifth. And Lemech is the sixth, which means Lemech. Did I? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, whoops. It's the fifth, yeah. I'm not very good at counting. So I think we have to... Oh, okay. Yeah, no, we start from Kain. Kain is one. <laughs> That's what I was trying to work to. Hanoch is the second. Irad is the third. Mechuyael is the fourth. Mechiyael is the fifth. Metushael is the sixth. No, I was right the first time. No, the structure's weird, though. It says, Yaled et Mechuyael, but Mechiyael... Oh, I see, I see. No, it's not. It's the same person. That's why, sorry, sorry. That's why I threw you and me. He's the same person, but just spelled differently. Okay, so if Kain's the first, Lemech is the sixth. Kain's the first, Lemech is the sixth, and that's the children of Lemech are the seventh. 
Why am I bothering to count generations? Because what was promised in Pasuk Tetvav? Okay, which Rashi explained, and Rashi took a long time to explain this because the, the Pasuk was very unclear, that Cain was promised he would, the vengeance, which turns out to be the vengeance for Hevel, which will be the death of Cain, will come after seven generations. That's why I'm counting the generations. And another thing that Rashi's got to do with what's coming next is sustain the way he interpreted Pasuk Tetvav. Pasuk Tetvav, Rashi said, Hashem tells Cain that the vengeance for Hevel, i.e. the death of Cain, will not come until seven generations. And Rashi explains what's coming next to fit in with that. And if you like, they work together. Posik Tetvav, Rashi makes fit in with what's coming next. And what's coming next, Rashi makes fit in with Posik Tetvav, as will be clear, but probably not this week, probably next week. Now, back to Posik Yudchet. So Rashi has a comment on Yudchet, and it is pure grammar. Although maybe we'll find a little bit of um, Hashkafa as well. But basically, it's pure grammar. And Rashi says on the word ve'irad yalad, which I said is something to do with having a child. Says Rashi, Yesh makom shahu omer bezicher holid, ve'yesh makom shahu omer yalad. So the word for a male having a child is two forms of the same verb. Sometimes it's holid, and sometimes, like here, it's yalad. And by the way, this is Rashi's entry point. This is why Rashi has a question, which he's going to help answer. And it's a classic question that Rashi actually asks all the time, which is, why do we have an asymmetry? Why do we have two things which are apparently the same, but are a bit different? And, and that is often a driving force for Rashi's question. And here you've got an example, and Rashi spells out. You've got one word, or rather you've got the same uh, action, having a child, but sometimes you've got this verb and sometimes you've got that verb. Why do we need two? And what Rashi's going to explain is they're basically equivalent, but they have a difficult grammatical form. So sometimes it's holid and sometimes it's yalad. And he says, Shahaleda mishameshet shte lashanot. Because this verb, the word leda here doesn't mean birth. It means the verb lamad yudalad, or sorry, lamad dalad. Um, hey, I suppose, um, has two meanings. Leidat ha'isha, so it can mean the woman giving birth, and in case you're not quite clear what he's trying to say, he tells you in French, nistre balaz, so in medieval French, it's, I'm not sure the pronunciation, nestre, which is like the word naissance, as in renaissance in English, yeah, birth, Vizuriat toldat ha'ish. And there's also the word leda means the man um, giving seed, which in French is endendre, which is in English engender. So that is the verb where the man, it's not a nice word, but impregnates or inseminates, that's probably the best translation, it's not a very nice word, his wife. So the word yalad can mean the man doing the male action of inseminating. So it can mean the woman giving birth, or it can mean the man impregnating. Those are the two meanings of yalat. So, let's go further. Keshehu omer holid beloshan hifil. So when it says holid, that is a hifil construction. Now what is hifil? Hifil is this great thing which is unique to Semitic languages, which is a form of the verb which means the causative. So, ani ochel, I eat. Ani ma'achil, I make somebody else eat. English has it, but not in the, in, in the same grammatical structure. Um, uh, you can uh, make something an object by objectifying it, for instance, and different verbs do it different ways. But in Hebrew and other Semitic languages, I believe that there is a binyan, a grammatical form of the verb, to be causative. So, holid, when a man is holid, his wife, that means he causes her to do the leda to give birth. So obviously he, he causes her to give birth by impregnating her, but that's just not the, if you like, the precise meaning or the nuance of holid. Holid is he causes her to give birth. 
So that's uh, when we use the word holid, Baloshan Hifil, Isha. It's referring to the birth given by the woman, and the man is causing her to give birth. Ploni holid et ishto ben obat. A male makes his wife, causes his wife to give birth to a son or a daughter. yalad, and when it says yalad, like in this case, medaber bezriat ha'ish, it refers to the man giving seed. Vahu balaz, and that in French is onnondre. Interestingly, he says the same thing again. He said it a few lines above, same, same French word. But again, it's in gender. Sorry, have you got it? It's a different one. Have you got it as different? In my text, it's exactly the same. There's no dalet in the second. Yeah. Ah, in mine there is. Now that would... Okay, there, there are different, uh, slightly different girsa'ot between these texts. Um, this text is pretty good. Which one are you using? Am I using art scroll? That's probably quite precise. Um... Now, this one, I noticed actually when I looked at this, doesn't give the, yeah, it doesn't repeat the French word at all. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Well, Maybe that, that, that might make more sense rather than Rashi repeating the same French word. Why does he give the French? Um, because that was, his target audience were French. And so, you see, what we naturally do today, literally, if we don't understand a word, we look in the English. Okay? So, we're all, hopefully, have some knowledge of Hebrew. But if we want to get a precise translation or we're not quite sure, we'll look in the English. So that's exactly the equivalent here. He's giving you the French because he's speaking to French-speaking people. Okay, we can go into uh, a long discussion about what exactly was the vernacular of the early Ashkenazi Jews. But it seems that it was French and German. That was their vernacular. Um, So Rashi is translating into vernacular to help you understand it. Okay? Now, so, what has Rashi done? He's explained that Yolad can be used in two forms. The result is exactly the same. But the way you get to it is slightly different. If it's holid, that's the man causes his wife to give birth. If it's yalad, it's the man impregnating his wife. So yalad actually is a kal form. It's not hifil, it's not uh, intensive, it's not puel, it's not uh, peel, that's what I want to say. Um, it's just yalad, he does the act of impregnating. Um, whereas the hifel is he causes her to give birth. As I say, obviously, by exactly the same uh, action. This is why, by the way, that in the classical English translations of the Bible, they invented a word which is only ever used in classical English translations of the Bible to satisfy this word, which is begat. You remember the, you know, the word? Yeah. And it's only ever used in the context of the Bible and usually to make fun of the Bible. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. What does that mean? So if it's a woman, she gives birth, but men don't give birth. So it's this act of causing her to give birth or impregnating her. Now, one more point. Has, is there anything more to this Rashi than just grammar? So the Maharal says yes. The Maharal adds the following point, that he holds that uh, hifil is more intensive than a kal, that holid is more substantial than yalad, and therefore it's significant that yalad is chosen here. And in a sense, it's an obvious question. And uh, if the Maharal didn't ask it, I'm sure many other people would. Okay, thank you, Rashi. You've told us there's a difference between yalad and holid, even though they're equivalent. But why does the Torah use yalad here? Why doesn't it use holid? So the Maharal says that since yalad is less intensive, it's more appropriate for this generation or for these generations because they're going to be wiped away because they're not long-lasting. So this act of creating generations is not as substantial if it were, as if it were for all eternity. So the Maharal says that Yalad, which is a less intense form, is the one chosen to be used here because these generations are more ephemeral, if you like, they're not going to last for very long, and therefore they don't have such a strong verb. Okay, question? Um, yeah, could it potentially, could you maybe extend it to like, if we're looking, if we're saying that there's all like, like sort of a small demise through the generations, then perhaps like, if the verb is less intensive, like perhaps it could be related to um, less, inve- like the parents having less investment in the children, and therefore that correlating to the moral demise? Um, maybe. Uh, you're suggesting that if I'm saying there's a moral demise overhanging this episode, 
Um, could the less intensive verb imply that the parents have less investment in their children? Are you suggesting that's a cause or a consequence of the moral um, demise? Not sure. Okay, to which I would say possibly. I, I haven't seen anything like that. The Maharal that I quoted doesn't say that, but possibly. Um, there's, a, there, there's a few things we can learn about priorities from the next few verses. By the way, this isn't Rashi, but I happen to see it in a book which was a parish on Rashi, um, that it's interesting. So having said that Kine's not very good, I'll now redeem Kine for the next minute. So I saw a, a nice vort that he names his son Chanoch because he was the first to understand the importance of chinuch, of education, that he didn't get from his father which is why the first, well, the second, if you like, disaster struck. The first was the fruit. The second was Cain killing Hevel. There'd be no chinuch, and Cain understands that you have to educate your children. That's why he called his son chinuch. Anyway, let's move on. Um, yes? Rashi seemingly doesn't commentate on, doesn't mention the difference and change of names. Um, uh, yes, between, and I didn't Michael know. and Mich. Mechuyael, and the name becomes Umechiael. Yeah. And I don't know why. Sorry. That's not uncommon, though. It's not it uncommon. It happens in a, like a, quite a few cases when they list generations. Yes. Um, you're quite right. It's not uncommon, which is maybe why Rashi doesn't get excited by it. But I'm afraid, especially because I didn't notice it before, I have got nothing <laughs> to add. Okay. Um, we come on to, as I said, Pasuk Yudchet was, was very much like a, a transition from the generation of Kain to the generation of Lemech. It's Lamach, Lemech, same word, depending on where it is in the sentence. And now we're told in Pasuk Yudchet, Vayikach lo Lemech shtei nashim. Lemech took two wives, Shem ha'achat ada, v'shem ha'shenit tzila. Now, Rashi wants to explain... Um, well, first of all, let's start with why Rashi feels that we need this whole story. We're suddenly getting into detail. Now, let's just remember, whom have we learned about in the Torah so far? Adam and Chava, they, they're pretty important. They had a crucial role in human history, as did Cain and Hevel. But why do we need to know about Lemech? And particularly, why do we need to know about Ada and Sila? Because as we will see, their role is not very consequential. So Rashi answers that. By saying in Rashi on Yutet, Vayikach lo lemech, lo haya lo lafarish kolzer, eila lamdenu misof ha'inyan. It didn't need to explain all this, except, uh, uh, do you mind closing the door? So, it didn't need to explain all this, oh, now you can close the door, except to tell us from the end of the section, Shakayem Hakodesh Barahu Haftahto, that Hashem kept his promise. Sha'amar, that he said in Pasuk Tetvav, Shivatayim Yukum Kain, that after seven generations, um, Kain, well, he will be avenged, but as we saw, uh, saw earlier, the vengeance is uh, on, um, it's Hevel who's being avenged. But it basically means Kain will meet his end after seven generations. Ahmad Lemech Shaholid Banim, Lemech arose after he had had children, and as we saw earlier, that makes the children the seventh generation from Kaim. Va'asa Dorshavi, and he made the seventh generation, Vaharag et Kaim, and then Lemech killed Kaim, as we will see. And Zehusha Amar, and that's what's meant by what Lemech says, Ki ish haragdi lepitzi. A man I have killed to my wounding. Now, what Lemech did, and how Rashi reads that in the Pesukim, because it's not explicit at all, will be for later. But the first point that Rashi is saying is, why do we need to be told all this? Because that's a good question. We're suddenly going into detail about this particular family setup. This guy and his two wives, why or why, what's the significance? Says Rashi, the significance is that it fits in with what we had in Pasuk Tet Vav. And you can look at it, I suppose, in two ways. Number one, Hashem keeps his promises. Just in case you're wondering, when Hashem makes a promise, we can actually see the fulfillment of it. Or number two, a little bit less theological, we want to understand Pasuk Tet Vav, this bit about seven generations. How does it make sense? Ah, it makes sense because we see that seven generations later, Cain got killed. 
Okay, so that's the first thing Rashi has to say. Why do we need to know all this stuff at all? And the next thing Rashi's going to say is there's further detail that perhaps you might have thought we could have managed without. So what detail is there in Pasuk Yotet that we could have managed without? I mean, um, the wives. The wives. The fact there were two of them and the fact that they were named. Now, not everyone gets named. Um, and it is the case that women get named less often than men. Um, and we don't normally learn people's wives. In fact, we've just gone through six generations and didn't mention a single wife. But there must have been one in each generation. And now we have a surfeit of wives. We have two. And we're told their names. So Rashi wants to explain. And he says on the word, Shteinashim. This was the way of the generation of the flood. Remember that. He's telling you about the morality and the attitudes of the generation of the flood. They used to have two wives. One for reproduction and one for sexual relations. Now, by the way, obviously you need both for both. But um, what it means is because they didn't want, they, they wanted one wife who's not going to be spoilt um, in, by giving birth. So they left one wife, not for giving birth, but just for sexual relations, and one wife who was given the job of having the babies. Uh, we'll keep going, and he'll explain how it works, and then we'll talk a little bit more. Zu Tashmish, and the one who was for sexual relations, Mashke Kos Shel Ikarin. She would drink, they would make her drink, no, she would drink, a cup of roots. Kadei shita'aker, in order to become sterile. Uh, some idea of some herbal contraceptive. So they would deliberately sterilize one of the wives. Umakoshetet, and they would decorate her, kakala, like a bride. Umaachila ma'adanim, and feed her nice things. So she would be like the, the queen, the one who's made the big fuss of. The Hevrata and her colleague, the other wife, Nazufa, was denigrated. The Evla and was in a state of mourning, Ka'almana, like a widow. Zehusha Piresh Iov, and that is what Iov says in a Pasuk from Iov. Ro'er Akara lo teled, the Almana lo yetiv. What does that mean? He shepherds, i.e. gives food um, to the barren one. She does not give birth. And the widow, he does not do good to. So says Rashi, that's a reference to this system where one wife was kept deliberately barren and was given all the fuss and the nice food. And the other wife was treated like a widow. As is explained in the narrative section of Perak Chelek, which is the 10th chapter of Sanhedrin. Slight problem, it's not there in the 10th chapter of Sanhedrin, but it is there in other Midrashim. Okay, so now we, oh, we haven't explained the, word, the names yet. Let's just go a little bit further because we'll see how the names fit in. Ada and Sila. Ada, he shall appear over Rivia. She's the one who's there for procreation. For Al-Shem Shemaguna Alav. And she's called Ada because it's disrespectful on him. He treats her badly. It's a ganai. It's a disgrace. And she is removed from him. Ada, and the word Ada, Targum Shal Rashi's now explaining why, the word, why, why we need to know the name and the significance of the name. So the word Ada is the Aramaic of Sura, which is to remove. So Ada is the one who's been removed. And the other wife is called Sila. He, Shel Tashmish, she's the one who's kept for sexual relations. Al shame she yoshevet tamid betselo. And she's called that because she always sits in his shadow. Tsel. Divre agada heim bebereshit rabba. And these words are found in Bereshit rabba. Okay. What do you think of the system? Yucky. Okay, I think it's not a good system. And I think it's the ultimate objectification of women. It's saying women are only good for two things. 
namely for procreating or for gratification. And it's saying that ideally those two functions should be separated. That if you're going to have children with this woman, well, then she's going to lose her looks and lose her figure. and You're not going to be very interested in her and you're going to treat her, push her aside like a widow. And uh, I think that's a very, very sad uh, attitude to the wonderful act of having children. That having children somehow takes her away from her other function of just providing gratification for her husband. And I think it's significant, and I said this at the beginning, that Rashi introduces it with So I don't think that's Rashi's starting point. I, I don't think Rashi ever is giving you a hashkafik, a, a, a perspective, just for the sake of the perspective. He's explaining the details of the pasuk and the names of the wives, why we need to be told about two wives, why he had two wives, why we're given the names. Rashi's answered all that by explaining this process. But I don't think it's coincidental that Rashi says this was what was going on in the time of Dor HaMabel. I think there is a very clear indication, and we'll see more of this soon, that things are not working out as they should, that people are not doing good things. So is the whole reason that the Torah brings this family structure and all, all of this to... Is it just trying to paint the, like, exact, like, emphasize the picture of how... Like morally depraved. Well, I'm not saying that's the reason the Torah brings it. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's just let's just just backtrack a little. First of all, Rashi himself said the reason the Torah brings it is to explain what happened to Cain after seven generations. Then he goes on to this uh, system of the two wives system, and that I, I doesn't say explicitly, but I think is to explain why we have these apparently extraneous and superfluous details in this pasuk. The number of wives. Um, and after all, as we'll go on, in terms of killing kine, we don't need to know how many wives Lemach have. And we certainly don't need to know their names. So Rashi says, that he brings you the system to tell you about the names. I'm adding, and this is my observation, that there are many hints in this Rashi and the successive ones about the moral decline. And I think when he starts off by saying, Kahi darkan there's a clear hint there that this tells you about their morality. Just by the way, um, it didn't work very well. The contraceptive didn't work, as you will see. Pasuk Kaf. The tailored Ada et Yaval, who haya avi Yoshev Ohel umikne. So Ada gave birth to Yaval. And then we're told about what Yaval did. He was the father of of those who dwell in tents and cattle. So what does it mean, dwell in tents and cattle? It doesn't mean dwelling cattle. But what, what, what's the cattle going on? So Rashi will explain that. Now, by the way, that's good because Ada um, is, this, is the one who's supposed to be having the babies. And she has a child called Yavav. So Rashi says on the words, Avi Yoshev Ohel Umikne in Basukkaf. Hu haya harishon leroe behemot he was the first of those who shepherded animals in the desert. Yoshev Ohalim, and he lived in tents, Chodesh Khan, the Chodesh Khan, a month here and a month here, Bishvil Maretsono, because for the sake of the pasture for his flock. Ukashakala Hamare Bimkom Zer. And when the pasture was finished up in this place, he went and pitched his tent in another place. Now, first of all, um, Rashi goes out of his way to say, not that he was the first to farm cattle, but he was the first to farm cattle in the desert. Why wasn't he the first to farm cattle? Or livestock, let's say. Yes. Which way? Which one? Hevel farmed sheep. Okay. Kine brought produce and uh, uh, agricultural produce, um, perhaps second-rate quality. And Hevel brought from the firstlings of his flock. So we know that somebody's already been farming cattle or flock livestock already. So it can't mean that this guy Yaval was the first to have 
cattle or have flocks. So that's why Rashi has to say he was the first to do something special. And, and this, by the way, does take it to a new league because if you haven't learned this trick of moving to more pasture, then you're very, very limited in how much uh, livestock you can raise because you're limited by one single piece of pasture. Once you get the trick of living in a tent and moving month by month to different places, then you can access far more pasture. Um, what Rashi's also done is shown how Yoshev Ohel and Mikneh go together. As I say, in the verse, it doesn't really make sense. He's the father of those who dwell in tents and cattle. So now we understand they dwell in tents in order to raise the cattle. So the, the Ohel and the Mikneh go together. They're part of the same process as Rashi explains. And then he brings another explanation. And he says, Umidrash Agada. Bone batim la'avodot elilim. He built houses for idolatry. Kama da'at omar. And he quotes a pasuk from Yechezkel, as it says, Semel hakina hamakner. The image of the jealousy of the one that provokes jealousy. Now, you see, the thing is, the word mikner has got two completely different meanings. It can mean cattle, or it can come from the root kaner, as in kelkana, a jealous god, as in being jealous. So mikner is what provokes jealousy. Now, what's going to provoke God's jealousy? An idol. So, says Rashi, we can also read Mikneh as that which provokes jealousy, and we use it in that sense in the Pasuk in Yechezkel, referring to idolatry. And again, in keeping with my theme, so Rashi wants to say that Mikneh's got two meanings, and that's why he brings two explanations. But notice, what does he add with the second explanation? If you like, a dig. A dig at these people. That, what are they doing? Descending into idolatry. Again, every time. That's what I said at the beginning of the Shia. Because it, it's, it, it, Rashi is sort of every opportunity. He says, look at these people. Look how bad they're getting. And then the, he makes a, the, the next few words of our Rashi refer to what's coming in the next Pasuk. So let's just look at Pasuk Kaf Aleph. Um, and it says there, V'shem Achiv Yuval. And the name of his brother, so that's Yavol's brother, son of Ada, was Yuval. Hu haya avi kol tofes kinor v'ugav. He was the father of all those who take hold of the kinor. What's the kinor? The harp and the ugav. Some kind of instrument. Flute. The Flute. Uh, Kinor in modern Hebrew is violin, isn't it? But in classical Hebrew, it's a, it's a harp. What lake is shaped like a harp? Kinneret. Anyway, so Yuval was into music. Now, the next one um, uses to make metal tools. And again, Rashi doesn't say this, but I'll just add in. Perhaps you can see in terms of moral decline that they got musical instruments before they got metal tools. That was where their focus lay, which is perhaps not good, especially when you're like populating the earth for the first time. Perhaps it's better to have metal tools before you get to start playing music. Anyway, Yuval was the father of music. And now let's go back to Rashi. So having brought the Midrash that says Mikneh is not cattle, but it's idolatry, then Rashi says, V'chein achiv tofes kinav ugav, and similarly his brother, so that's the brother of Yaval, who is Yuval, um, was the handler of harp and flute, lezemer la'avodat kochavim, to play music for the idolatry. So again, Rashi is saying, it sounds nice, but beneath the veneer, there's something quite wicked going on, something dark going on, descending into idolatry. Yes. Rashi's first answer is there's nothing wrong with it though. Correct. Okay, so that's yeah. the juxtaposition between the first and the second. Is that it must there must have been something worse to it? Yes, but I, I think what's driving Rashi is Mikneh can be understood in two yeah. ways. Right? 
but you're right. The first one, there's nothing wrong with it. And indeed, it's actually, I, I would say, it's quite positive. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Mankind is expanding his technological base and uh, increasing the food supply. So I think that's good. But then Rushi says, but there's another way of looking at it. Is that what, a rejection? Is it more of a rejection of the first answer? He doesn't say. He just, uh, interestingly, he doesn't introduce it as Devarche. He introduces it as a Midrash. Uh, I think the, the first answer is more pshat. Um, it, it, it's more of a straightforward <laughs> meaning to talk about cattle <coughs> and tents. The second answer he makes clear is a midrash. Um, we can ask, and, and, and you know, I haven't gone down this track in this particular case, of, of what is the deficiency in the first answer that needs the requirement of the second answer. I'm not quite sure of that, and I didn't actually see anyone who analyzed it in that way. But uh, so just sort of halfway there is to say this point, I'm saying that Mikna can be understood in two ways. Yeah. Yes, it makes sense, Rob. But when it introduces Yaakov as Yoshev Ohalim, yeah. yes. what's the exact. <laughs> it is Yoshev Ohalim. So Yaakov is Ishtam Yoshev Ohalim. Very interesting. Okay. Um, is there a juxtaposition? That... I don't know. That is a very interesting observation. There's definitely something to say about that. So he's Yoshev Ohel. And, our, and Yaakov is Yoshev Ohalim, which Rashi explains as learning. And he says Ohalim, the tent of, of, of Shem, of the tent of Ever. Yeah. But also Yaakov is juxtaposed to Esav, who's an Ish Tzayid, like Ish Sadeh, mm-hmm. whereas like Yavol is mm. both. Yaakov, Yaakov is in the Midbar, as Rashi says. He's not yeah. juxtaposed with anyone. Yeah, um, somehow maybe like doing both things. Ah, he's in the tent and he's in the, de- and he's in the mm. field. Okay. Um, definitely something to think about. Yes? Um, I'm just curious, why do you think that Rashi like, feels the need to keep pointing out how, like, how bad kind is and all these generations are? Okay. Like, what's driving that? So why does Rashi keep pointing this out? So first of all, let me make absolutely clear. I'm the one who's pointing out Rashi is pointing out. And I'm the one who's saying there's an overall theme. And... That seems pretty clear, though. I know. Well, and I'm pointing you towards that. Yeah. Um, others might say, Rashi is giving pshat. End of story. I think Rashi's doing a little bit more than that. And I think the reason is to tell you that the flood didn't come out of nowhere. The flood came out of somewhere. Now, either because you just, you're reading the story and you just want to know why the flood happened, or slightly, I think, more important, you want to know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, uh, is, uh, judge, judges the world. Um, as Abraham says, the judge of all the world should do justice. So I think in order to understand why Hashem took this incredibly um, dramatic, uh, regrettable, um, he regretted it uh, in a sense, decision to wipe out the whole of humanity and to start the whole process again and to undo everything that's been done from Bereshit onwards, there has to be some sort of major reason for that. And I think perhaps that I'm covering myself by saying perhaps, that Rashi is setting us up for why Hashem had to do this. But also because I think it's true. I mean, Rashi thinks this is the truth. Okay. And then it says, Kaf Bet, Gamhi Yalda. And Sila, also she, Yalda, gave birth at Tulval Kain, um, Lotesh kol choresh nechoshet ubarzel. We'll talk about that in a minute because I want to get to the end of the passage. So she gave birth to two valkain, the achot two valkain naama, and the sister of two valkain was naama. Okay, what's odd? I've actually pointed this out already. Zilla gave birth. What? Have. That's right. Zilla shouldn't have given a birth. I mean, Rashi went to, gave a whole long description of how she was given this contraceptive drink, and obviously it didn't work very well. Because she had not one, but two children. Um, so, someone to say that that explains two things in this verse in Kafbet. One is the gum. Vatsila gum he yalada. What does that mean? Silla also she, even though she wasn't supposed to, she also gave birth. Because really you don't need the gum. Now, it's not totally unusual to have something like that. There are other examples. But each one, in a sense, needs an explanation. And in this case, the explanation is, she also gave birth, even though that wasn't what should have happened. And the other thing is, who was Nama? Who was Nama? So let's, if you don't mind, jump to the end of Rashi on Kafbet. Nama, 
if you jump to the end of Rashi on Kafbet, he ishtol shel Noach. She was the wife of Noach. By the way, there, there are different opinions in the Midrash. Some say she was, some say she wasn't. Rashi is adopting the opinion that she was. Now, why does Rashi have to say she was the wife of Noah? Exactly. Otherwise, why is she mentioned? Everyone's mentioned for a reason. So, first of all, and I have to say, it's rare for women to be mentioned. And when a woman is mentioned, there must be some particular significance. But even all the males who've been mentioned, they've done something like pretty big. Yoval, he introduced animal husbandry. And Yuval introduced music. And we're about to see that Tuval Kain did something else as well. So, why Nama? So Rashi says, oh, by the way, she's got a particular key role because she is going to be the wife of Noah. The wife of Noah, by the way, was pretty good. The Midrashim praise her. Noah was a tzaddik. The Nama was also a tzaddik. That's why she's called Naim, meaning pleasant. She did pleasant things. She gets saved in the flood. So that's also a clue that she's good. And if she's good... And if this Nama who's born to Tzila is the wife of Noah and good, what does that explain? Why a miracle happened to allow her to be born. What's the miracle? Tzila having birth. Tzila giving birth. So someone to say, that's the point of Nama. Um, that Nama's uh, identity as a Sadekes explains why Tzila gave birth contrary to what should have happened? Well, that would have justified it the first. The then wouldn't she not therefore be the firstborn and not the secondborn seemingly? But let's start that again. The puzzle sounds like she was the secondborn. Who Tzila? No, no Nama. Nama. Yeah. Because oh, it I see. says, and the sister of Tuvalkain was Nama, and, and so you could read that as Tuvalkain was born first, and then Nama, then a sister was born. Yeah. Would you then not assume the miracle would have just been Nama being born and Tuvalkay not being born? born? Yeah, but either way, first of all, it's not clear who's born first. It doesn't no, say course, explicitly who's born first. Secondly, um, I said that some say that Nama's, Nama explains why a miracle happened. Mm. But either way, whether she's born first or second, you've got to, it doesn't explain why Tuvalkay was well, born. Yeah, exactly. So you want to say, you're thinking that if she miraculously needed to give birth to Nama, then she probably had a little bit of like, birthing energy left over for another one. But uh, you could, it could happen the other way around as well. Yeah, well, the, the question still is, if, if, if there was a miracle that was, that Nama was born, why was Tamar came there? I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Although, um, I will just hold that question, and next week we'll have an interesting um, uh, comment in relation to that. Do you know what I'm about to say? Um, I don't think I'm like, taking us off track, but like, why do we need to like test this like a miracle? Like, like where are we getting that like Nama has to be a miracle? Okay, I'm getting that. Um, I, I'm sorry, I forget who said it, but I did see it. Uh, this wasn't mine. Somebody I saw made this point. Um, the reason we, the reason I'm giving this explanation is because, and this always bothered me, by the way. And only just preparing this year have I resolved my bother is Rashi gave us this whole long Misa about this contraceptive business. And then, Ada has children, Silla has children, let's just carry on. And, you know, what happened to the whole business of Silla not having children? Silla goes ahead and has children. So there is obviously a contradiction between Rashi saying, Rashi can read Pasuk uh, Kafbet as well as we can, probably better. So Rashi in Pasuk Yudtet gave this whole thing about Silla is the one reserved for not having children. And lo and behold, in Pasuk Kafbet, Silla has children. So there's a contradiction there between Rashi and the Chumash. And that needs some sort of comment. If, not, if it's not big enough to like, be seen as a kasha, as a contradiction, at least it needs a comment. And that's a comment on this subject. So there's two things. The Gamhi, Silla Gamhi uh, Yalada, fits with this, this idea that Silla gave birth out of the ordinary, and perhaps you can say that Nama justifies the miracle of Tzila giving birth. That's what I wanted to say. Okay, we've just got a bit of time to start about Tuval Cain, to go back to the beginning of Kafbet. So what's Tuval Cain? Um, it's a funny name. Um, Tuval is a funny word, and Cain is a name we know already. So what's Tuval Cain? Says Rashi, Tovel imunatol shel Cain. He was Tovel the profession of Cain. What does Tovel mean? Continues Rashi. Tovel Loshen Tavlin. 
What's Tavlin? Spice. Tibel, I think that's how you pronounce it, behit kin emunato shelkain. He spiced up and he fixed, as in improved, the profession of Cain. Now, what was Cain's profession? It's not what you think. What was Cain's lasting contribution? What did Cain do that nobody else had ever done before? Murder. Killed, that's right, murder. So Cain, when he says the immunato shall Cain, the profession of Cain, he's referring to Cain as a murderer. And what does Tuval Cain do? Continues Rashi, La'asot klei zayin l'rotzchim. He makes weapons for murderers. Now, a couple of things that Rashi's done. One textual and the other hashkafic. Um, what's the textual thing he's done? He's explained the name Tuval Kain. It's, it's a funny name. And now we understand it means the one who spices up the work of Kain. So Rashi's explained what the word means and how it fits with what's coming next. But again, and I'm sorry to keep laboring this point, just when you think, it's, it's, the, the next words talk about him being helping the fashioning of, of metal instruments. So Rashi says, just in case you think these are worthy things to like, you know, improve mankind's uh, quality of life, they're not. They're weapons. And yet again, there's a negative um, implication about the nature of this generation. So what's lotesh kol choresh nechoshet ubarzel? Now, it's only a few lines. There's quite a few things to say. and We might not finish it this week. Lotesh means to sharpen. And choresh means to fashion or to shape. So it's a little bit tricky to say Tuvakai was the sharpener of all the shaper of copper and um, iron. Uh, so Rashi says... On the words Lotesh Kol Choresh Nachoshet Ubarzel, Machadet Emunot Nachoshet Ubarzel. He literally sharpened, that's the translation of Lotesh, the production of copper and iron. Kamo Yiltosh Enav Li. Another Pasuk from Eov, meaning his eyes were sharpened to me. And that Pasuk tells you that Lotesh has the meaning of chadad, meaning sharpen. It's, it's a simple, I think it's a simple translation of the verb into a word that's more familiar. So lotesh means to sharpen, like we see from Eov. And then he says, um, no, then I'm going to pause, because the, the clock is running, and we've got four lines of grammar, and I don't want to rush through it. So we have to come back in Yitzhashem next week on the grammar of the word choresh. So we're in the middle of Pasuk Kafbet. See you next week in the Yitzhah Hashem.